0: We're continuing uh, this morning in our series on the church. Uh, We started a few weeks ago uh, looking at uh, our call to be a disciple-making church, and then Danny led us last week in that uh, call to be part of the worldwide church. And so uh, this morning we're looking at uh, God's calling on us as Orangefield Church and part of a disciple-making worldwide church to be a worshipping church. And so we're going to read uh, from God's Word now uh, some uh, verses from John chapter 4. And it's that uh, encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria. Uh, and in that encounter, part of that involves this little discussion about worship. So we're going to read from John chapter 4, and it's from verse 19. Uh, and it's, you'll find it in the church Bible, if you'd like to follow along. It's in the church Bible on page 1067. That's 1067. <clears throat> so John writes this, Jesus and the, 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 the woman at the well. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Amen. Amen. Well, just as we come uh, to look again, to say, to continue on in our series uh, in the church, and I noticed a little subliminal flicker up on the screen of the book earlier on, uh, I want to draw your attention again to uh, John Stott's book, The Living Church. It's a book that um, is inspiring, I guess, a lot of what we'll be thinking about over these weeks and in this term. Uh, and it would be a great book for you to be reading uh, as we look together at the subject of the church. So we've, uh, in faith, ordered up a bunch of these books, and they're available in our church shop, and uh, they're available at price five pounds each, or we're doing you two for a tenner. So, so there you are, what have that for a deal? Should have been a salesman, eh? Five pounds each. They are actually seven pounds online, shall we say? And uh, we're doing them in the shop for £5 each, so as I said, two for ten. A great book for you to be reading, though, and there's a whole chapter in there on worship, and let me recommend that to you. So, uh, as, we, uh, in our, as a church family, we've stated in our 2020 vision document that, uh, that our vision is that we'd be a praying, worshipping Christian community. And in our values, one of our nine values as a church that we believe that God has given us to live out for Him, one of them is God-glorifying worship. So we're here today at morning worship, but I wonder, have you really ever stopped to think much about worship? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to do for the next few moments here together. And I've no doubt that God has something very important that He wants to say to us this morning as we think about worship. You see, worship can mean many different things to different people. So, I want to suggest that we just uh, look at this subject by answering a few questions that we pose ourselves. First of all, we might start in the obvious place: what is worship? Well, this this word worship actually comes from the Old English. It comes from the Old English word worship, and that is to ascribe worth to something or to someone. So to worship is to give our respect and our admiration to someone or to something, to to reverence and adore them because we believe that they or it are worth it. You see, biblical worship can be defined in a number of different ways. For instance, in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. That's worshiping God with what we say and what we sing. Then it goes on, bring an offering and come before Him. That's worshiping God with what we do. And then it finishes by calling us to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. You see, worship is about a whole lot more than just singing praise. But that is, of course, part of it. But in Romans 12, for instance, St. Paul writes, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God... This is your spiritual act of worship. And you remember the wise men when they came to Jesus in Matthew 2, it tells us, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, of myrrh. You see, they worshipped these wise men, these magi. They worshipped Jesus by bowing down in admiration and then by giving him their gifts. Worship is broad, and in its broadest sense, it encompasses worshiping God with everything that we are and everything that we have. It means giving him priority in how we spend our time and our money, our energy, our talents, giving him the glory in everything that we do. We might say that worship is done in praise and prayer and in giving and in living. You see, people have and and will always worship something. So the question is not, well, will we worship? The question is, what will we worship? So that's our second question. Who or what are we to worship? Well, we will ultimately worship that which we think is worth it. You know, the world today, there are all sorts of things out there vying for our attention, vying for our time, our money, and our, in a sense, for our worship. So to get us focused in our church's catechism, the very first question is, what is man's primary purpose? Or you might remember an older version of what is man's chief end, but what is man's primary purpose, the very first question. The answer is man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And I couldn't think of anything better to be doing. In other words, our primary purpose is to worship God. That is who we are to worship, and that is what we were made for. As Christians, you see, we believe that the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He alone is worthy of our worship. You see, in the beginning, Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, and they were in this complete union and complete obedience to Him. And in that union and that obedience, they were, in effect, in a constant state of worship. Everything they did gave glory to God. And then the fall. After the fall, after the rebellion against God, we we see many mentions in the Bible of worship. Throughout the Bible, we see people worshiping. Sometimes they're worshiping the one true God. At other times, they're worshiping false gods and idols. You see, since the rebellion against God, the temptation has always been for us to be inclined away from God and to be Come and try to be our own little gods. That's exactly what the devil persuaded Adam and Eve to do. He persuaded them to replace what God wanted with what they wanted. To become their own little false gods. And you know, we're all inclined to do that. We are not naturally inclined to worship the God of heaven and earth. And you see, it is only by a miraculous work of His Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives that He enables us to worship Him as He wishes. In the Bible, the word worship is mentioned over 200 times. If we also define worship as praising and serving, then we can count another 500 times. It's what the book's about. God has throughout history... Throughout the history of the world been drawing to himself a people of worship. In Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments after setting his people free from slavery and captivity the very first commandment to his people is this you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment you shall not make for yourself any idol in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The Bible you see is one big, massive call to worship. It's one big, massive call for the whole universe to worship the living God. So our primary purpose is to live lives that worship Him. So I guess we can ask ourselves, well, how are we doing? And perhaps one way to measure that is to look at what the priorities are in our lives. I reckon that we'll probably, whatever we're spending our time and our money and our energy on, well, those are our priorities. They are perhaps what we're worshipping. So how are we doing? Are we being selfish? Have we made ourselves into our own little false gods? Or are we in any way worshipping idols in the form of sports teams, celebrities, political ideas? Material things, earthly pleasures. Oh, you know what the temptations are. You can think those through for yourself and ask yourself. So, thirdly, then why worship? Well, we worship God in response to who He is and to what He has done for us. Our worship is a response to Him, to His initiative. In Psalm 100, in verses 1 and 2, it it calls us to shout for joy all the earth. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And you see, if we were were to ask the psalmist, well, why? Why should we do that? He gives us the answer in the next verse. For the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. In verse 4 of Psalm 100, the, the psalmist calls us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. Again, if we were to ask, well, why? Again, the psalmist answers us in the next verse. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, we worship God in response to who He is and to what He has done for us. And when we understand and when we know in our heads and in our hearts that the Lord is God, that He made us, that we are His, that He is good, that He loves, that His love for us endures forever, and that His faithfulness towards us continues for all generations, then we can but respond in worship. And as Jesus' ultimate expression of his love for us. He died in our place for our sins and he rose again that we might have life, life in all its fullness and even life eternal. You see, when someone saves our lives and our souls, surely gratitude is the appropriate response. When we are given a gift that we could never afford, we make our appreciation known. And you see, worship is the outward expression of a spirit-softened, grace-filled, and thankful heart. Our worship recognizes God's authority, too, as creator of our universe, as well as our Savior. Worship, therefore, is is of the highest priority for the individual believer and for the church as a family, collectively. John Stott, in his book, he he writes, Worship is the primary reason for the existence of the church. Stott goes on, Worship is the one thing that we start here on earth and continue for all eternity in heaven. You see, Christianity is unique. Christianity is unique amongst religions in that it is based upon this eternal personal relationship with God. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. The Lord is your God. The Lord is my God. The Lord is our God. And worship is an act of celebrating that personal and eternal relationship. Through worship we communicate with God. Through worship we acknowledge His Lordship. And whether that's expressed uh, through music or song or prayer or the sacraments or giving or practical service, worship is at its core the expression of intimacy with God our Father. And we need too, to remember that God commands us to worship not because He needs it, God doesn't need my worship. God doesn't need our worship. It's not because God is somehow sitting out there and feeling a little bit lonely and or something like that, no. No, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is his very own completely and fully self sufficient community. And on top of that, he is surrounded in heaven by the worship of all the angels and of a great, uncountable multitude of saints from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't command us to worship Him because He needs it. He commands us to worship Him because we need it. We need to do it. We need to do it. He commands it not because He is a selfish God, but because He wants to bless His people. He wants to bless us. You see, left to our own devices, we are by nature self-centered and self-focused. And we can think that we're the center of the universe. Worshipping God reminds us that thankfully we're not. Worshiping God reminds us actually that he is the center of the universe, the creator of the universe. And it puts our lives into perspective, doesn't it? And it's a perspective that's really good for us. Because so easily we get ourselves down by focusing in on ourselves and our own problems. A little navel gazing. That'll soon probably get us down. But look, worshiping God... Oh, worshiping God, that changes everything. Because that lifts our eyes up off our problems and lifts our focus up onto Him and onto His goodness and His faithfulness and His love and His power and His promises. You see, as we worship Him, we take our our focus up off ourselves and we put it on Him. And then we're reminded of all the blessings that He has given us. And we're reminded of all the blessings that He wants to give us. That's why King David was able to write in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's why Matt Redmond was able to write the words of a song that we're familiar with and often use. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Worshiping God takes our focus off our own little selves and puts our focus on our great big God. The great big God who is with us through all the ups and downs of life. And Hebrews 10 tells us not to give up meeting for worship, the kind of worship that we gather for on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. The Christian life was never meant to be solitary. All of the biblical metaphors for church indicate plurality. We are a body, a flock, a building, a holy nation. There's no lone rangers in biblical Christianity. Attending Sunday worship helps prevent us from becoming isolated and growing cold. Without corporate public worship, we tend to drift spiritually if we're not attending. Church attendance promotes fellowship, accountability, and encouragement. In Acts 2, it tells us the early Christians continued steadfastly in fellowship, meeting together every day for worship. Another reason for corporate worship is that it makes a big public statement, doesn't it? If we're regular churchgoers, we publicly demonstrate our faith and we witness to the watching world. We believe. When we attend public worship, we Enjoy fellowship and encouragement one with the other. And we hear the, the public preaching of, of God's Word. You see, for some people, uh, I speak to folks, and for some folks listening to sermons uh, online and listening to praise songs online or, uh, yeah, online, And uh, it, this is kind of replaced gathering together for worship for some folks. But in fact, what they're doing is they're privatizing their faith. And they're promoting that ultimate oxymoron, unbiblical Christian consumerism. You see, when we listen to a sermon or a talk, ideally we want to hear it in the context in which it's given. But talks online are always going to be out of context, out of the context of of relationship, out of the context of the fellowship, out of the context of the worship in which they're given. And I know that there are some people who are unable to get out to church because they are housebound or or caring for others. And I know that there are are members of our own congregation and others who benefit from our online uh, podcast ministry. And that's great. And we we pray that if you're listening to this online, that God will richly bless you. That you will know of his presence and of our prayers and uh, you will be blessed. But our preference must always be to be in church if at all possible. And then we have everything in context and we receive all the other benefits of meeting together for worship. And fourthly and lastly for this morning, how are we to worship? Well, we get our answer to this question from our Bible reading for this morning. Jesus says here in in John 4 verse 24 that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. We are to worship in spirit and truth. It's an answer that folks often give when we are discussing worship, but we often use those words, but what does worshiping in in spirit and truth mean? In in the conversation recorded here for us in John 4, the woman was discussing places of worship with Jesus, saying that the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem and the Samaritans uh, at Mount Gerizim. You see, Jesus had revealed to this lady that he knew all about her, all about her immorality and her five husbands. And and of course, this made her feel uncomfortable. So she attempted to divert his attention from her personal life to talking about religion generally. Sometimes we do that, don't we? But Jesus refused to be distracted. He refused to be distracted from this lesson on worship that he was giving this lady. And he goes straight to the heart of the matter in verse 23. Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. You see, the overall meaning of worshipping in spirit and truth is that we will seek to worship in a way that is both in tune with the Holy Spirit and informed by the truth of God's Word. Worshipping in spirit and truth will engage both the head and the heart our emotions, and our knowledge. We will have the knowledge of Christ in our heads and the warmth of the Spirit in our hearts. Jesus was saying, look, the place where we worship is not important. It doesn't have to be Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. We can worship God the Father now through Christ in any place and at any time. Where we worship is not important, but how we worship is True worship must be in spirit, that is, engaging the whole heart and bringing ourselves into communion with the Spirit of God and being open to His leading. Unless there's a real desire for unity with God and an open to His Spirit, then there is no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth, that is, properly informed, properly informed by the Scriptures. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews not only worshipped in different places, but they also had different scriptures. The Samaritans used only the first five books of the Old Testament, whereas the Jews also used the the Old Testament, all of it, including the, the teaching of the prophets. The Jews had the fuller truth about God, more knowledge of God. And unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, unless we know the truth about Him, then there is no worship in truth. And to worship in truth is also to bring worship to God that is in line with His guidance and how we are to worship Him. See, He doesn't leave us to our own devices when it comes to how we are to worship. This guidance is given to us in His Word. Hebrews 12 tells us that we must worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us that in worship, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Also in 2 Corinthians 3, but he writes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As far as what is actually included in a service of worship, well, if we look at certain passages from, for instance, the Psalms or the Book of Acts or the letters to the Corinthians, we see that when the church meets for worship, there will be elements of praise, of prayer, of Bible reading, of teaching, of offering, and of the sacraments. That's why we do what we do here on a Sunday morning at Orangefield and a Sunday evening here at Orangefield. Our worship of Almighty God is guided by the Word of Almighty God. We're not at at liberty to simply worship Him in whatever way we fancy. God has told us in His Word how we are to worship Him in a way that is acceptable to Him. And both spirit and truth are necessary for God-honoring worship. Spirit without truth, you see, leads to shallow, temporary, emotional high. Truth without spirit can result just in a dry, passionless encounter. However, the combination of both aspects of worship, of spirit and truth together, engaging both the heart and the head, results in joyous glorification of God. Finally, worship in spirit and truth will always produce transformation in the life of a worshiper. Transformation causing a greater desire to love and obey the God we worship. You see, if worship does not propel us into a greater love for God and a greater obedience to Him, then it isn't worship. Jesus said those who love Him will keep His commands. If we say we love and worship Him but do not obey Him in our lives, then our Our worship is worthless. You see, we we just can't come here and sing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, and then go out through the door and forget all about Him. If we do that, then we haven't worshipped at all. Just as I finish, we worship God because we love Him. And we love Him because He has first loved us. And such a God and such a love really do demand that we offer up our whole lives in worship to Him. So brothers and sisters, as we go forward into this new church year, into this new year, into this whole new season of of church life at Orangefield, let us go forward together as the worshiping church that God our Father Cause us to be. And to Him alone be all the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Let's just take a moment in the presence of the Spirit of God to respond to the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we pray that you would please continue to work in our hearts and in our heads by your spirit and your truth. Continue to reveal your love, your will, and yourself to us, and help us to respond to you as you would lead us. Father, individually and collectively, in everything that we think and say and do, may we worship you in spirit and truth, glorifying and enjoying you in our prayers and our praise, in our giving and in our living, both now and forever.